Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They say life is stranger than fiction. But if you start squeezing lithium down, lithium sort of joins with its neighbor into like a lithium-2 subunit. And so it becomes actually a dilithium solid. But sometimes what we see in movies or read in books is so incredible that it obviously couldn't be possible. Or could it? Tesla, I'm sure you know the car company that's working yeah. on electric cars. There was a claim that the newest ones will be able to go a million miles before needing to be replaced. Welcome to Sci-Fi Sci-Fact. I'm Brian Crump, and this is a podcast where we take science fiction's strangest ideas, weirdest elements, most unfeasible plot drivers, and explore if they could actually happen in real life. Maybe they already have. And in every episode, we bring in a scientist from New Zealand's McDiamond Institute to explain the theories behind some of fiction's more fantastic flights of fancy, if any theory exists. It turns out you can change the law of physics. In this episode, Dr. Krista Steenbergen, McDiamond Institute Associate Investigator and Physics Lecturer at Victoria University of Wellington, gives us her take on the dilithium crystals that power Star Trek's Enterprise... Captain. Trick here. I've got bad news, Captain. The entire dilithium crystal converter assembly is fused. No chance of repair. It's completely unusable. No chance of restoring warp drive? Not without dilithium crystals. We can't even generate enough power to fire our weapons. Kirk out. Delving into exactly what it is, I think um, within the series itself, at least from what I have been reading up on, so they talk about something to do with uh, a material that keeps matter and antimatter separated, and this somehow does not allow uh, annihilation reactions to take place uncontrolled, and then um, because of this, it sort of uh, gives some stability around uh, this type of reaction. But in reality, what I understand is it never quite delves into exactly how it produces the kind of propulsion that it, it would be because, needing in order to do hyperdrive. Because, so, Krista, yeah. I, I mean, to, to, to be perfectly frank here, um, yeah. you are changing the laws of physics to go faster at the speed of light, aren't you? Uh, yes, absolutely. There is... Um, Big time. Uh, you, yep, yep. You, you unquestionably would... Uh, need to um, be in a universe that we either don't understand or one that we don't live in in order to make that happen. Okay. And, uh, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll set that aside. So. We'll set that aside because otherwise that's the end of the interview. 
Um, but okay, matter and and I need to ask you another question: matter and antimatter. Another thing you often hear in science fiction: matter and antimatter. And I'm antimatter. This is an act, it. It actually does exist. That's a real thing. We know it exists. Absolutely. Yes, it is a very, very real thing. Uh, we can um, play around with it in particularly particle accelerators. It is uh, it is a thing that if you collide matter with antimatter, um, the big one would be uh, electron and the positron. Um, you collide them and you get an annihilation and a, a large amount of energy uh, given what you put into it. Or you can do the opposite where you can take um, energy and in certain certain under certain conditions, you can actually separate out uh, electron and a positron, so matter and antimatter. Dilithium is this element that, because I'm pretty sure it's an element. I think, in fact, there there is a Star Trek episode where it's mentioned as number eighty-seven on the periodic table. For heaven's sake! Yes. So yes, they, 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 it's an element. It allows you to have antimatter and matter not colliding, not having some kind of. You can control the. Um, the reaction between the two, and that creates the energy that allows you to go faster than the speed of light, which, of course, requires us to change the laws of physics, which can he do, but never mind. Um, so what is element 87 in the periodic table? It's not dilithium, is it? Uh, it is not. It is not. It is, um, I have to be careful. I would say francium, but it might be francium. Um, but it is uh, it is an actual element that does exist and was discovered actually before they made this claim of dilithium, um, and it is highly radioactive. It does there is a tie back to some chemistry. Um, so the creators of Star Trek were not completely off script, I guess you'd say, uh, when it comes to physics and chemistry when they when they chose element eighty seven because it actually shares the valency with lithium itself. Um, and valency would be a chemical kind of composition. Uh, and so naming it dilithium, but um, making it sort of a radioactive element, so quite heavy element, um, probably would have been, I guess, a tie between, you know, looking at the heavy elements such as uranium, plutonium, which we at that time would have known that you could uh, split to create enormous amounts of energy. And, um, and then, you know, Putting it as a as a uh, in the same valency as as the, as the straight lithium, the smaller element. Um, Va- valency is yeah. what the 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 makeup of the outer shell. Sorry, I just banged the um, microphone there, trying to imagine my mind's eye the outer shell of an atom. Yes, yes, and so it it generally it's tied to chemical properties. So in general, um, to describe it, particularly to lithium. Um, the valency of lithium is that it has sort of a core. It's a, lithium is element number three, so not element number 87, but element number three. And it has a three electrons um, surrounding its nucleus. And in general, when you look at this chemically, two of the electrons form a stable chemical electron shell. And then there's this one electron that sort of sits out, and that's its, its, its outer valency is that one electron. Ah. Uh, element 87 has a much larger core of electrons, so 86 of them would form this sort of chemically stable core shell, and not nearly as stable in a lot of ways as uh, number three, but um, the 86 electrons would form this, and then it would have this one electron as its valence, valence, valence shell. If I was and to so, look down the yeah. periodic table, uh, Krista, if yep. I was to look down that periodic table, would I 
find that francium, which is element number 87 and which in Star Trek is called dilithium, is in the same column? It is in the same column. That's exactly correct. And lithium, of course, is a very real element. As you said, it's number three. It's quite a common element. In fact, it's associated with batteries, isn't it? It is very much associated with energy. Um, And I think back when they would have made this claim, lithium batteries would have been possibly in the development stages. They certainly would have been considered uh, but uh, since that time, so I think the first episode where dilithium in Star Trek was mentioned was, I'm looking this up, was 1966. Um, and the year I was yeah. born. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Great year. I was Great born year. the same year as Star Trek. Were you born on that year too, Krista? No, I was not, but uh, 10 years later. <laughs> so, you know, this, um, you know the, 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 the years that end in six are, are fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful so, years. Yep. Sorry, sorry, yes, that was a bit of a, of a tangent. I'll, I'll come back to what you were saying, <laughs> which was? Um, so the 1966 episode, lithium batteries really started to move into um, development stages in the 1970s, really, and uh, at least where they started to be worked upon seriously. And... Um, and, yeah, they're, they're very, very real energy sources. Actually, they are at the forefront of our energy storage capacities in the current world. So I was actually doing a little bit of reading uh, in prep, and I don't know how seriously to take this at this point, but um, Tesla, I'm sure you know the car company that's working yeah. on electric cars. Electric cars are a big user of battery technologies uh, for obvious reasons. And there was a claim made in September of last year that – uh, the new work that Tesla has done with some researchers on lithium-ion batteries make the claim that the newest ones will be able to go a million miles before needing to be replaced. Really? And so it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, which, that's, that's a few trips between Auckland and Wellington. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's pretty phenomenal uh, breakthrough, actually. So um, those technologies have been moving very quickly uh, because back when battery technologies first came on the forefront, there were a lot of issues. And then lithium-ion has pretty much smashed a lot of those uh, limitations. It was actually uh, something that was interesting also, I forgot to mention, was um, it it was the chemistry Nobel last year was for the work on developing the the lithium-ion batteries because it's made such an incredible difference in our world. It's quite possible then, from what you're saying, that the makers of Star Trek knew about lithium then and its potential as a source of, of stored energy or a way of storing energy efficiently. It would be, it would be lovely to think about it in mm. that context. Um, the, the, other thing, the other thing that you know, I would need to do a lot more reading and, and probably talking to folks, but um, the other thing that is actually interesting to think about and something that I quite appreciate is that sometimes science fiction actually can drive forward science. And so it would also be cool in a completely different way if, um, if, if the, you know, the folks sitting back who are doing research happen to be watching Star Trek and it just planted a little seed. And then they're like, huh, lithium. Why is it? You should look at that. So. Why, why is it, Krista, that lithium is so good as a material for a battery? I think a lot of different reasons, and it's, but it's taken... It's taken a lot of work to get there. So it's very light. It's the lightest uh, metal, actually. Um, Also, because of this valency that we talked about, it quite likes to give up its electron, and that is uh, integrally necessary to get um, power from batteries. And so 
in general, the the lithium itself, I think, both because it's light and then it very much likes to give up its electron um, to form the current that comes out of a battery, uh, would be reasons that it has become one of the primary materials. Um, there were a lot of issues with it early on, so three gentlemen got the Nobel Prize for three different stages of development, and um, it was only in the third stage of development where they finally fixed a lot of the problems. Lithium is extremely reactive, so that was one of the big limitations for a lot of years was the fact that if you just simply have lithium with water, uh, you actually get a quite spectacular reaction, um, <laughs> well, depending, depending on how it's bundled. Um, so if you, if you just have a lithium sheet and it's flat and you put it in water, it just simply sort of dissolves and forms hydrogen gas. Uh, but um, I was actually looking on YouTube. There's some quite spectacular reactions where you kind of bundle the lithium sheet up so that it creates a little bit more like a ball, and you put that in water. It actually um, uh, starts flaming and creates this, you know, nice, beautiful uh, sunset-colored flame. Oh, and, um, lovely. Yeah, yeah. And then so en enough energy that the, that the gentleman doing the experiment um, – Burned through his glass Pyrex bowl, you know, so it created uh, some, yeah. Well, and then burnt the lab down. Yes, yes, I'm I'm fairly certain that uh, that 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 could be a byproduct. This this person was actually doing this in the street, you know, one of those YouTube science folks who oh, okay. put out information. And at room temperature, is lithium what your typical shiny silver metal as a sheet? Uh, yes, yeah. It's actually at it, 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 room temperature. It would be. I mean, it, it can be in a sheet form. Um, it cuts quite easy, easily. It's very soft, and so you can actually cut it with a knife. It is a metal, uh, and it's very odd to think about being able to cut a metal with a knife, but you can. And um, but yeah, it's just a, it would be metallic, uh, your typical looking metal. It, inside these lithium-ion batteries, the ones that would be double A. It would be a lithium compound, and I would need to look up what it would be, but it would be lithium, uh, you know, in, in some kind of a compound form. It's much better what at, at building up a charge and storing a charge than other salts or ions. In general, I, don't, I wouldn't say necessarily better. I would say that there's a lot of benefits to it. So if you were to compare it to, say, a nickel-cadmium battery, um, which were the ones that... So, okay, first of all, rechargeability. So this would be something that we care about in today's day and age where we try to be less wasteful and more environmentally friendly. And so we would like something that we can discharge and then recharge. And the really beautiful thing about the development with the lithium-ion batteries, but I will also add in the nickel-cadmium batteries, is the fact that they allowed this cycling. So you could discharge and then recharge. And it was based on the materials that we were using for the cathode and anode and um, and the reactions that were taking place at those the, the electrodes of that battery. I was talking with somebody else the other day. I can't remember who now, but it was about hydrogen. And if you put hydrogen under enough pressure, it forms a solid. And as a solid, it is a superconductor. I think that's been proven, or maybe it's just in theory, because it's pretty hard to, to, to create solid hydrogen. I think it's been proven. Now, what happens... Say something like lithium, if we put yep. it under some kind of tremendous pressure, might that change its behaviour to make it even more like the dilithium of Star Trek? So it absolutely could, and it does change its properties very, very significantly. Um, whether it could make it 
perform uh, as a hyperdrive, probably still far more testing needs to be done and quite doubtful, but it absolutely does. So the really, really interesting thing about lithium or one of the interesting things about lithium is the fact that in its standard pressure and temperature, so room, you know, the world we live in, uh, lithium actually exists as a solid, it is a metal, and it has a crystal structure, so the atoms within that material arrange themselves in a, it's a typical, um, typical to a metal, it, it sort of packs the atoms arrange themselves, so they're about equally distant from all other atoms, and so it's called a body-centered cubic structure, and uh, each atom is sort of independent. Um, there, there's, uh, yeah, obviously interconnectivity, but it's independent. But if you start squeezing lithium down, it actually turns out that the structure changes so that lithium sort of joins with its neighbor into an Li2, like a lithium-2 subunit. And so it becomes actually a dilithium solid. And that Li2 subunit has completely different properties than the lithium atom where we originally started. A dilithium so solid. Dilithium, uh, just like dilithium in Star Trek. Can it separate exactly. matter from antimatter? <laughs> I think that is yet to be proven. Um, it, it's not completely unfeasible, uh, probably far beyond what they've tested at this point. But, um, but based on some of the, the, the chemical changes that do occur when you put it under pressure, uh, there's a high probability that it becomes less reactive, that's for sure. And so when you take a look at lithium solid being this super reactive, you can't put it in, you know, it reacts within air, it reacts within water. Um, you know, once you squeeze it down and it forms these sort of lithium-2 subunits, the dilithium subunits, it, w it, it, is, it is very reasonable that we become a much less reactive solid, uh, somewhere above the pressure needed to create synthetic diamonds and somewhere below the pressure that you would get in the inner core of the Earth, but, but very, very enormous pressures. The problem becomes that uh, actually looking at what happens with the crystal structure under those enormous pressures becomes very difficult. So the experiments can be done. Uh, they do observe the properties that they can measure for lithium. Uh, they observe quite a drastic change in those properties. So one of the things they can measure is conductivity. And so when they start with the normal sample that is not under pressure, they can tell that it is quite conductive. It's a metal, so it conducts electricity very easily. And then once you squeeze it very, very tight at approximately 100 gigapascal, um, it makes this transition to where it is no longer conducting uh, and it has properties that are much more like um, what we call a semiconductor or an uh, insulator except for under certain conditions, I would say. Right. And, yeah. So it's that that sounds not so useful for energy transferal but maybe more useful for computational purposes. Yes, it could be. It could be computational purposes or, um, you know, any kind of gadgetry that you might like. Uh, yes, very much so. Um, probably depending on what its band gap would be, because this is the property of semiconductors that make them useful, um, possibly not even useful in those kinds of capacities, but, um, but definitely doesn't seem to be so useful as an energy generator, uh, at least as of yet. But then we go back to... You know, it, within this hyperdrive technology that they were proposing in Star Trek, uh, in theory, it was the separation of matter and antimatter that was making the difference. And so, you know, I think that's still probably, who knows uh, what that could be.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact, hosted by me, Brian Crump, produced by Andrew Robertson, and of course, made possible thanks to the incredible knowledge of those brilliant scientists at the McDiarmid Institute. You can find more episodes of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact on the RNZ Podcasts page. RNZ Podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or pretty much wherever you might find your podcasts. And make sure to follow us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.